listening to the Unfreak Parents Podcast, episode 006. You're seen to chat about parenting, life, and of course, Humphreys McGee. I'm your host, Sarah Jahimiak, successful entrepreneur, mom of three, wife, and total Umfreak. Are you prepared for what comes next? Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me for episode six of the Umfreak Parents Podcast. I am so grateful that you are here. I hope that everyone that made their way to Red Rocks had an absolutely amazing weekend and that everyone got home safely. I will absolutely not be missing Red Rocks next year. That is for sure. Um, And before we really dive into everything in this episode, I just wanted to give a huge quick shout out to my editor, Eric. He's amazing. Not only has he been doing all the editing and everything um, since the very beginning of this podcast, um, but he also took a stack of cards to Red Rocks with him and chatted with people and handed out cards. And I am so grateful to him for doing that and for all of his help with this podcast. He's not even a parent himself and he still sees um, the potential in this. So I'm super, super grateful for all of his help. So before we dive into all of the Umphrey stuff, I just wanted to let everybody know that the we will be releasing weekly episodes on Tuesday, which is very exciting. Um, it'll be the same content, but we're going to be breaking it up so that the episodes are a little shorter and you won't have to listen to all of it in one sitting. So I'm very excited to have consistent episodes for you guys to listen to. I also wanted to mention that Umphreys did announce their fall tour. They will be kicking off in Kansas City, also hitting up Madison, Wisconsin, Chicago, Charlotte, Raleigh, Baltimore, Illinois, Urbana, and two nights at St. Paul. Tickets are on sale at the time of this episode's airing, so be sure to get in the van and see some Umphreys this fall. I will put a link to the tour dates and all the ticketing information in the show notes so you guys can definitely get your ass to a show. All right, so this week's episode will feature my review of all the amazingness at Red Rocks and my awesome chat with Rachel Simmon, Director of Merchandise for Umphreys McGee. And next week's episode will feature our On This Day, which will be July 24th, 2014, as well as the discussion from that show. So please make sure that you come back next week and check that out. All right, so let's jump into all of the amazingness that was Red Rocks. I, as I said in the beginning of the episode, I'm not missing Red Rocks next year. I said that to my husband before the first note of music was even played. I knew so many people that were there and, you know, messages and things on Facebook and social media and stuff was seriously making me just want to be there so bad. And I actually, part of my interview with Rachel, she called me from Red Rocks. So of course there was just all that excitement you can tell even over the phone. So definitely will be there next year without a doubt. So, July 5th, night one, the highlights for me include the intentions clear into North Route, into Conduit, into Proverbial, which has only been played five times, last played 335 shows ago on December 30th, 2014 at the Tabby in Atlanta. Nothing too fancy, Stinkos, Miss Tinkles, those are all on my 2018 Hall of Fame list and the not yet played in 2018 divisions last played September 23rd, 2017 at the Chicago Makeup Show. Rocktopus also should be mentioned, even though it was just played at the Stone Pony, it was in no doubt in reference to the AR poster with the red Rocktopus that came to life with the app on your phone. It's seriously very, very cool what they did and you do not need the poster to make it happen in your living room. Um, I will post something in the show notes about um, the thing that Umphreys did about making it work on your phone at home. It's very cool. It's very neat. And actually Rachel and I 
touch on the AR poster for Red Rocks, so make sure that you stick around for our interview at the end of the episode so you can hear more about that. Um, also mentioned at the end of Rocktopus, this is the second time that part of Nether was played at the end, but the actual song has not yet been debuted. All right, night two, July 6th, which honestly is my favorite night, particularly the second set, although it is really hard to come to that conclusion because, of course, every night was amazing. I wasn't there to get the full effect of each night, and I feel like it's like picking your favorite child. You can't do it, and you love them all for different reasons, but I am sticking with set two. As my favorite. You got the wrong guy to open. Similar skin. Which is on my Hall of Fame. It's such an amazing version. I just love the way they jam this song out. I will be honest. When I first heard this song on the record. And they first started playing it live. I was not really a fan of this song. But as it's grown. And they jam it out at the end. I really really love it now. This Hurt Bird Bath too. Those first two songs are really what made me choose this as my favorite night, for sure. Uh, Ride on Pony only played 12 times total. I've been lucky enough to catch it twice, actually. The last time it was played was February 19th, 2017 at the Orange Peel in Asheville, North Carolina. And this Phil's Farm, which some are tagging it as Phil's Sex Farm, absolutely amazing. Just the jams are just mind-blowing. And then, of course, you have that little Bayless lyrical stew in the middle, which absolutely got everybody going in Red Rocks, of course. And single-handedly, Bayless helped every dude get laid in Red Rocks that weekend with that lyrical stew. There is no doubt. If you do not know what I'm talking about, I will absolutely put a link into the show notes for the video that they released for it. It's just, it's so good. No doubt that's going to be making it on the Hall of Fame for next year, for sure. Right into a always dancey den and... Come Closer, a mashup of Nine Inch Nails and The Beatles, last played August 20th, 2017 in Nashville, Tennessee to close out the first set. The second set, which I mentioned before, is my favorite set from the weekend. And I honestly put most, if not all, of this set on my Hall of Fame 2018 list. The Silent Type, which I totally... Totally love when they jam this out. And as I mentioned before, is my youngest favorite song. So he always gets super excited when it comes on. It Doesn't Matter, which is another great one that is just growing and morphing with time. is so awesome. The Lanier, Plunger into Australian Lullaby, which I did mention on Twitter. I thought that I was crazy when I first heard it, but then I was like, nope. I definitely know this tune, and for those of you that do not know that song, it is on the Real to Real soundtrack, so you definitely want to check that out. There's an acoustic version and an electric version on that album, um, on the Nugs version, um, So, but definitely listen to the electric version and you will hear um, the Australian lullaby that is in Plunger. So they go back into Plunger, and then this Higgins. This Higgins is just so amazing. I love this Higgins. Probably one of my favorite versions, if not my favorite version of Higgins. Definitely you need to check that out. And the whole amazing set closes out with a cover of Freedom 90 by George Michael, last played on December 31st, 2016 in Chicago, which I was at. But before that, it was a 2020 three show gap that's insanity the whole second set on the rocks closes out with an encore of 1348 so on night three those that purchased the umphreys vip upgrade were able to attend a special vip set and they did not disappoint as they never do with those vip sets a beautiful 13 minute sociable jimmy white man's moccasins a blue echo that just gives me absolutely all the feels 
I love Jake's uplifting guitar as the song comes to a close and goes right into Professor Wormbog. Totally love Joel in that tune, 100%. Then it goes right into only half of the Crooked One and then back into Professor Wormbog. Once again, proving that if there is an option to purchase access to a, a private set, that you absolutely should do that. This set, as well as all of the other sets from the weekend, are available on Nugs, so you definitely want to check this one and all of them out. And I'll be sure to put a link in the show notes for all of the shows so you can give them all a listen yourself. So that brings us to night three, which, just because it was night three, certainly meant nothing to Umphreys in the respect of, oh, it's night three, we should be tired. Because honestly, you would not be able to tell. You listen to this show or night one, you know, unless really knowing a lot about the music, you would not be able to tell. They play just as hard in the very last song of this night as they do in the very first song of night one. And that's just another thing that I love about them is just their passion and their drive and their their love of playing this music. It just comes out full force on the stage. But this night, night three, like I said before, it was very difficult for me to choose between night two and night three. So definitely listen to both nights and see what you come up with for yourself. This night opens with Gurgle, then Dump City, Maybe Someday, Women, Wine, and Song that had a nice little gap of 46 shows and had not yet been played in 2018. Example 1, Rocker Part 2, Seasons, and Ocean Billy. This Ocean Billy, seriously, I just don't even know what to say about it. I love every single part of it. How Jake's guitar just gets so dark in the middle and then goes right back into Billy after this jam. It's just so dark and just really kind of reminds me of like a Darth Vader sort of imperial death march kind of a thing. It just, I just love when he plays that just that dark and dirty sound. I just love it. The Ocean Billy and most of the uh, second set of this show made its made its way into my Hall of Fame as well and like I said, made it very hard to decide a favorite. The second set of this show opens with Hindsight, Wappy, Ringo, and Utopian with A Sweet Emotion by Aerosmith. The Wappy, Ringo, and Fur all in a row is just straight nasty. Stasic is just ridiculous. And Chris just reminds me over and over again why he's one of my favorite drummers. Slacker and the first time covered Totally Clips of the Heart by Bonnie Taylor with a surprise guest, Jen Hartswick, who changed her flight in order to come and play that tune with Umphreys. I just love it when she sits in with them. Her voice just gives me goosebumps all over my body. And her and Bayless's voice together is just so beautiful, so beautiful. The whole amazing weekend closes out with a huge, amazing, powerful 15-minute all-in-time. Totally love this musical journey. I love, love all-in-time anyways and just the different you know, genres and music and things that they go into into this song is just amazing and just an amazing way to end an amazing weekend. I did put a tweet out about my favorites, my definite highlights of the weekend, so I will put a link to that in the show notes so you can definitely check that out as well. Before we play my awesome interview with Rachel, I just wanted to say how grateful I am to her for taking time away from her family vacation to talk to me. And then because we both had stuff that we wanted to bring up again, she took time while she was at Red Rocks on Friday morning to chat with me again over the phone. So I just wanted to thank her so much for taking her valuable time. Um, 
during her off time and when I know she was really busy to chat with me about all things Umphreys. She's a very awesome lady, and I am so thankful for her, and I know that Umphreys is too. So here is my awesome interview with Rachel Simmon, Director of Merchandise for Umphreys McGee. My name is Rachel Simmon, and I am the Director of Merchandising for Umphreys McGee. Awesome. And what does that job entail? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so I create the merchandise line for tour and our online store. Um, I am involved with all of the um, all the releases, basically any album releases or video releases. I help with the, the copy for that. Um, I'll consult on you know album cover direction and all, all that kind of fun stuff. And then I actually do a lot of the copywriting for our email blasts and news items and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so it's director of merchandising, but it also is kind of a communications role for the organization where I can, you know, uh, they've been there for about 12 years now. So I kind of have, I guess, the voice down a little bit of, you know, how to present the products and how to, you know, if you go on to our our online store, the product descriptions where we, you know, describe what's going on in there and everything. Mm -hmm. um, I work on a lot of that as well, um, as well as just overall management support um, out of our Chicago office. And um, I also assist Mary Welch with the UMVIP program. Awesome. So you are more of the home crew than the road crew. Yes, definitely. I, I've been coming to the same office in Chicago since uh, September of 2006 and that's <laughs> I'll very go awesome. out on the road oh go ahead no 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 I was just saying that's very cool that's very cool oh yeah no and I'll, I'll go out on the road again to do VIP programs or when we have a special event like um, I did the reel to reel premieres when we had that in a few markets and um, so I'll, I will travel but usually not more than once once a month and for a specific purpose, but other than that, I am I'm home based in Chicago. That's very cool. So you did mention um, that you work with Mary Welch with the um, um, VAP program. Can you tell us all a little bit more about that? I know that at first I can remember like in 2008, um, I went to Chicago for New Year's and at that time it was still all under considerate Dan. So can you tell us kind of like how the MVIP thing all sort of morphed and became, you know, what it is now? Oh, sure. Um, so we brought it in-house, I think, around 2009 or 10. It would have been right, at, right after that. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think at the time was mainly just doing merchandise. I think I joined up with UMVIP about five years ago, just, again, to offer, you know, support on the road. Mary Welch is kind of the the brainchild behind the whole program. She sets everything up um, and I'll go out and help execute the programs. Mm -hmm. It's helpful for me um, to be at shows to do the merchandise part of my job actually and over kind of like just check in on how it's going. And then if I'm also there doing UMVIP and helping out there, it kind of, you know, it's a two birds maybe. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, I help out mainly in program execution for that. I don't do a lot of the planning for VIP. Okay. Yeah, I know. I remember like at summer camp, you're just all over the place. Like, <laughs> I can only imagine. But festival how ones are tricky. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they are because you guys have so much going on. Not just the VIP, but you have the golden ticket and just the shows and all of it. So, you know, I've said it once and I'll say it again. Yeah. I mean, you guys are amazing. Like the whole crew behind the band. It's just amazing, everybody that works together and, and makes all of it happen. So, you know, I, I want to say thank you to you, too. Like, I said thank you to Sam last week when I talked to him. Like, just the hard work that you guys do is is, is very awesome and not unnoticed. So, <laughs> oh, Thank you. I appreciate that. We all, um, we all really love our jobs, and, you know, a lot of us wear a lot of different hats mm -hmm. uh, for the organization, and it's definitely grown and morphed over time um like as i said the vip stuff's relatively you know maybe last five years for me um when i first started with umphreys i was doing more office management and project management 
Um, and then since about 2009, I've been really focused on the merch. I came on board in the merch department for the Mantis release because that was one of the biggest, you know, to date, you know, at that time we hadn't really done anything like that with the, we had like this involved deluxe pre-order that was very personalized and cool. So I, that was the first project that I oversaw for Umphreys on my own was the Mantis deluxe um, packaging and then kind of took off from there. That's very cool. So how did you get to work for Umphreys? Like how did that, what kind of led you to that job in 2006? Yeah, so I'll actually, I'll start with how I got introduced to Umphreys because it all happened very quickly okay. after that. Um, I was living in New York in the summer of 2005 um, and I was heading into my senior year at NYU. Um, I'm from the East Coast originally. Nice. <laughs> and I was going with a friend of mine to see Trey Band at Festival Pier in Philly. Mm -hmm. um, and we were driving and he had put on a CD. We were stuck in like horrible traffic and he had put on a CD and it was like <laughs> this like shitty Napster rip of Pinkles. <laughs> and I had never heard on Freeze before. And so, you know, to hear, I, I heard that on the way to the show. I was like, oh my gosh, what did I just hear? What, you know, what, what is this? And he, you know, explained, you know, a little bit about who Umphreys was, that he had just gotten into them. And, um, and I remember, I, I think, I don't know if we left the show earlier, if it was a rain out or something, but I remember I couldn't wait to get back to the car to hear the song again. And I was like, gosh, like I, you know, and from there, I really started to listen to the band a lot that summer. Mm -hmm. um, and I had been introduced to the Bort community um, and started meeting up with people, you know, there at shows and kind of just found this big community of, you know, of Umphreys fans in that summer and fall. Mm -hmm. um, I ended up going on a Northeast tour in September of 2005. And at the time I was interning at NBC um, in New York, working, doing the Today Show morning concert series. So I I remember I met the guys, I don't know if it was in Rochester or Utica, they were just kind of hanging out after the show. And I went up and I introduced myself to our tour manager at the time who was Don. And I was like, hey, you know, shot in the dark, but I'm Rachel, I'm a new fan. I happen to work at NBC. If you have anything you can give me to deliver to them, like a press packet or just anything, I would love to walk it over to the music producer's desk. I don't know him that well. I'm at the bottom of the totem pole. I'm just an intern, but I really love you guys. And I would love to do whatever I can to, you know, try to get them on. At the time, I think it was Conan. I was going for a late night with Conan was out of, out of the offices. So I met um, the touring organization that way. Don put me in touch with Vince, um, who's, you know, my boss now for 12, <laughs> for 12 years, but, yeah, I remember the first email I sent him because he sent it back to me a couple of years ago. I was like, hey, I remember this. And it was like, hey, you know, I'm Rachel. I'm a big fan. Can you put me in touch with your publicist? I want to walk a care package over to, you know, these music producers' offices. And I'd love to do whatever I can to help you guys succeed. So I got in touch with their publicity. They sent me this, you know, beautiful care package. Um, Anchor Drops had just come out. Wrapped Around Chicago had just come out. And you know, with some nice photos, and I walked it over to the music producer. So um, needless to say, he didn't bite, <laughs> but I stayed in touch with, um, you know, Vince that year, and simultaneously, I had been seeing all these shows and finding this community of a lot of people who lived in the Midwest, and I was about to graduate from, from NYU. I wasn't really sure if I was going to stay in New York and stay in television or do something else. Um, and I ended up actually dating a guy that I met at an Umphreys show who lived in Indianapolis. And when it, time, when it came time to graduate, I was like, you know what? I know way more people in the Midwest than I do in New York. I can't really afford to stay in New York. I'm going to, you know, take this leap of faith and just move to Chicago where I know people um, and, and see if I can start, you know, a career there. And at the time, I was thinking I'd go into PR. So I got to Chicago, started working at um, Edelman, a PR firm here. And I always stayed in touch with, with Vince. I was like, hey, if you ever need anything, you know, 
I'm here in Chicago now. Like, hey, you know, if you have anything coming up and need street team help, just letting you know I'm, I'm still here. Um, and then one day I heard back from Vince. He's like, yeah, you know what? We actually do need something. And what had happened was the Umphrey's office at the time was in a, like, a garden unit, mm-hmm. um, like a, you know, a basement apartment. And the building next to them had a fire, and the fire department came and put out the fire, but the, the water had completely flooded the, the old Umphrey's office. And so they found themselves in the situation where they were trying to like save the archives and you know, kind of unpack all these restoration boxes. And so he's like, it's, it's not a glamorous job, but you want to come unpack restoration boxes? And for me at the time, and I, I thought it was really cool. I was like, I absolutely love to help preserve the archives. Yeah. Um, so, so I went in, um, I kind of did it around this, this PR entry-level job I had. And, you know, I remember leaving early or going in late a little bit to that to go and help out at the Umphrey's office. And then, it, you know, it just so happened that kind of like when we got done with that project, I knew where everything was <laughs> in the office and they were looking to hire an office manager. So it was, you know, I, I don't want to say right place and right time. I think it was the right time, but I definitely put myself in the right place. It was mm-hmm. a leap of faith leaving New York, feeling this really strong pull towards Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, so that if an opportunity arose, I was in the right place. Um, so that's kind of my <laughs> long winded version of how I started there. And then it, you know, it evolved, like I said, over the years, it was whatever the organization needed if I was a good fit for it. I, you know, had my hand up first and be like, hey, can I, you know, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> um, and in 2009, again, with Mantis, that was a, ve- a very big deal at the time for us, what we were doing with that pre-order campaign. And that was the first time they gave me a lot of responsibility on my own to build a team and to execute that. That's very cool. And that's a very, very, very cool story. And one of my mantras is if opportunity doesn't knock, build a door. And I feel like your story is exactly that. <laughs> like you just put yourself out there and just went for it. And I think that's super awesome. I think that's very cool. Thanks. It was, I, I totally freaked my parents out. They're like, you're doing what to go where? <laughs> I was like, I'm going to Chicago. I met a bunch of cool people on the internet, <laughs> which, as you might imagine, to to a parent was like not the best news. But um, but no, and I've been here ever since. That's so awesome. That's so cool. Very cool. Um, so tell everybody a little bit more about the merchandise process. So, like, how does an idea? Um, you know, how does it start as an idea and then kind of morph into a physical product that you guys sell? Yeah, so there's, for me, I actually start with the blanks. Um, I'll look at, I have a few t-shirt suppliers that I really like um, and, you know, hat suppliers and then good, good vendors that have relationships in Asia with, you know, well-vetted facilities um that you know anytime i start with a new vendor i I asked the question i was like if we're doing anything overseas do you have boots on the ground there do you you know what kind of oversight do you have so Mm -hmm. i start with the blank product um and for t-shirts i get i get really excited about like you know they launch a new color like you know for for red rocks are working on our merch line right now and there's this new like deep plum tri-blend shirt that I'm super stoked about. Um, so it, it does start for me with the blanks and finding high quality, good products and make sure we can get them because there's sometimes stock issues. Um, and once I know we can get what we want, then I go to the artists and say, hey, you know, we're looking for, um, you know, two designs to run across two shirts and maybe five ancillary products and this is the date we need them we create a timeline um and then you know for art approvals and then final and everything like that um so that's i get the products secured i get the artists on board and then we start talking about the concept um usually i'll bring an idea to the table with a few links for how you know i've seen it executed elsewhere that i liked And then I'll usually say, you know, if we're talking about garments and wearables, you know, plus one to two ideas from your designers. Um, That way I kind of keep myself in check because I know that, you know, my personal 
taste through, you know, not always what, you know, the mm-hmm. math, <laughs> what you know, other people want to see. And so I always have like at least one other designer's perspective in there. Um, so that way, when we do get the first round of mock-ups, um, that it's, you know, there's a few different viewpoints in there. And I'll go through and kind of fine-tune what I think will work for us and what won't. And we usually go back and forth. This is me and my designers. Um, and then once we get to a solid deck that has about usually six to eight good ideas in them or, or you know, something that I, I think are good ideas, I'll send them off to our internal merchandise review team, um, which currently consists of Vince, Kevin, myself, Sam, and Louie. Um, and that's changed over the years, you know, depending on a variety of factors, but that's, you know, who, that's the group that kind of looks at something before we say, okay, this is good to go into production. So there's a fair amount of oversight. Um, I've found that early in the creative process, there's, you know, definitely a thing as too many cooks in the kitchen. And I also respect that people are busy with their own roles, you know, especially if the band is on tour. Um, I try not to, you know, to blow up you know, too much of our touring personnel by looking at art approvals, like I can do that part. Um, but then when we actually want to make the decision of how much to carry on the road, there's a lot of considerations like truck space. Um, like if we have, you know, big events coming up like Red Rocks where we'll have our a totally separate merch line where we can do high volume because of the amount of people that come out. That's super fun mm-hmm. for me when I'm like, okay, great. We can make a whole, we can make a bunch of stuff. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, so it, it kind of goes like that. Um, the process with posters is very different. I try to give, that's just me and the, the artist one-on-one, usually no account rep in the middle or, you know, or really any consultation. And I, I try to give our poster artists as long of a leash as possible, for lack of a better phrase, mm-hmm. because I find we get the best art and the you know, the highest quality artists when they're allowed to create their art, you know? Right, um, right. So that's, yeah, so that's a lot of, like, most of the posters you see, I have very little um, creative input into, except for the list of don'ts that I send all new new artists that we work with. <laughs> and, and the list of don'ts include um, really any imagery that, is very well known for another band. So I don't do Skull and Roses together. You know, that's the dead's got that. Mm -hmm. Um, I try not to, you know, I don't know, rainbows, unicorns, um, (laughs) like dead animals. Some artists really like dead animals. Like there's just things we've kind of seen over the years and fine tuning that we're like, okay, I've either gotten feedback from the band that they don't like this, or it's so, this is something that's so well known for another artist that it wouldn't be authentic to come from Umphreys. So, um, so yeah, so poster artists have, you know, kind of, they, they do their own thing. I just try to book the right person for the job and then let them go. Um, and then the other thing that I work on is ad math uh, for us. So any of the, the digital art you'll see for shows. And for those, I'm very specific. Like, you know, we, those are, you know, some of those are management directives that I get about exactly how it needs to be. And then other ones are, you know, just me talking to the artists, but it's everything from like, you know, this font in this size, in this specific place is how we want this. So it, it depends on the project. Cool. Very cool. Um, can you, and I will say before I go, <laughs> go forward with my questions that I am like the biggest supporter of Umphrey's merch. <laughs> like, Oh, thank you. It's ridiculous. <laughs> like sometimes I will go out and I just have like everything on, but it's not intentional. Like it's just that, you know, especially with with the VIP program, like the stuff that you guys oh, you give get, out. Like, a ton I, of, <laughs> <laughs> totally, you get a ton of stuff. Mary Welch does all the VIP merch too. She has, um, you know, she has her own set of vendors she'll work with there, and you know she's able to do some quirkier things because she's doing it for smaller groups of people like for me I'm trying to you know make the most people happy with the line right so it has to be like if there's anything that's a little bit too out there I don't want to like alienate a whole group of 
people by running it. So, I, you know, I try to make merch appealing to the most for for her, she, you know, for a program, you know, we've got a hundred people, she can just make them something cool. You know? right. so, yeah. Um, and, and she does, a little and bit I of don't tell you, I use everything I've used. My husband and I were just talking about this. We've done VIP, like every time we go out of town and do a show, bigger shows and stuff. And every single time, everything I get, I use like almost daily or at least weekly. Like, so. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I've been using the fanny pack back from summer camp pretty much every day like I think I think we're gonna bring him back <laughs> and you know I was like always like I seriously used to shit on people about fanny packs because it's like the 80s gigantic you know fanny pack but I'm like this is really nice and so convenient I don't have to carry around my giant purse everywhere so <laughs> it's amazing I totally love it and a perfect festival bag too like it was so great for that whole weekend too so definitely a good call on that um, so tell us a little bit more about the golden ticket event that you guys have started doing at summer camp. Oh yeah. So that started, it was an office brainstorm session back in 2010. Um, and it was, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I think it was, I think it was Kevin Vincent myself, but we were, t- we were talking about, you know, what do we do at the end of the tour when we have merchandise left over? Do we put it on sale? Do we, you know, do this and that? It's it, it sprung from that idea. It's like, okay, so at, at the end of the tour, we want to make new stuff, right? But is it irresponsible to make a whole new merch line if we still have, you know, some items left over? So it started from that. And then we're like, okay, well, how do we make this into actually like a cool event that people want to participate in? Like, yes, they'll get they'll get the merch, but, you know, how, how do we make it better? How do we make it more interesting? And so it did start from a place of, you know, needing to rid ourselves of excess inventory. Over the course of about three years, we had they solved the inventory issue, but we didn't have, all of a sudden didn't really have a ton of excess inventory, which was a combination of, you know, me getting better at my job because I had only been in that role for one year in 2010 and didn't quite know the the quantities to order for tour. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't have a ton of excess inventory now. Um, we've kind of gotten that down, but the event was still, you know, very popular. So we started making new things for the event, um, which of course, you know, if anyone's not familiar with the golden ticket, the the grand prize is unlimited tickets to an Umphrey show for a year for you and a friend. And then, you know, usually between 20 and 25 other prizes that are a runner up prizes. So um, it's gotten to be kind of its own, like, I, I'm still even surprised about how quickly it goes out. And I think that most people are there for the grand prize. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, with 600 participants, you have to make it cool for everyone, right? You don't want to just reward one person. So we developed this partnership, I think, four years ago, maybe, with Eagle's Nest Outfitters. Um, this is an awesome, like, outdoor lifestyle brand. They do hammocks. Um, they have, you know, they do a bunch of stuff. But they use their hammock fabric to make these bags for us. And um, so they've been wonderful to work with. And this year, I think we took it up a notch because they – started using a new supplier they're like hey do you want patterns and I was like yes I want patterns um of course so I want patterns over <laughs> of course I want patterns um so they sent over you know just a bunch of options for us this year to, to introduce new patterns and so I think the focus of the event especially you know in recent years where like you know of course at the end of certain tours we'll we'll have certain styles that don't do as well as others and we'll need a place for them to go so that we still do use it for you know usually the previous tours inventory but it's there's all these gems now like at the office we have um just you know years and years of memorabilia that we started sliding into these bags like autographed pictures and um red rocks trophies and uh, like all sorts of stuff that we're like you know this is someone might really think this is cool and we actually hear a lot of feedback from the people that do get those little nuggets in there is that like that it is really cool um but every year we try to make it better. We try to diversify the bags more and more because people do buy multiples. Um, you know, it, it doesn't always happen that way. We 
we, we monitor feedback. We know people, you know, get the same items and aren't thrilled about it sometimes. So we, we take that into consideration. Okay, next year, we're going to diversify more. You know, I'm not going to print 600 black bandanas. I'm going to do, you know, I don't know, just vary it up more and more and more so that it continues to be a good experience for people and not just, you know, the one person who, you know, who, who goes to the moon when they, when they get the gold prize. So. Yeah, I mean, and this is the first, this summer camp was the first year um, that I had participated in it because the summer camps before you guys weren't doing it yet. And, you know, I use my bags all the time. Like I use my bags at the grocery store. They're really amazing grocery bags and people always compliment me on them. They're like, oh, where did you get those bags? I'm like, you'll never get these bags. Like (laughs) these are like, nobody's getting these. so. So they're very cool. They're very sturdy and, you know, I love them. And, you know, we did get extra stuff in our bags, but my kids were super excited about having Umphrey's merch, so like they didn't even, it was awesome. So they each got like little bag of stuff after the weekend, so they were super stoked about that. So nice. So um, tour, summer's tour starts Thursday in Buffalo, my hometown show, so I'm excited for that. Um, nice. What does getting ready for tour look like for you? What does what look like for me? Getting ready for tour. Oh, yes. So I have two big, two two or three, but usually two big merch production cycles per year. Um, and that starts six weeks about before the first show of tour. So for me, actually, um, summer tour, you know, in, in my calendar, in my mind, started in that, that May run we had before mm-hmm. summer camp, those mm-hmm. few shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'll work back, you know, six to eight weeks from there to get started on the merch line. So for, for next weekend shows, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of done because <laughs> done, the merch was done for, for those shows before summer camp. So that's a very, you know, April, May is always a very, very active time um, in terms of just preparing for, for that. And then again, in November, December, we have, you know, the holidays in our online store is a very, you know, popular and high traffic time there. So I'm always producing a lot of merch then. Um, but that is usually the same stuff in November, December that fuels winter tour that starts in January. So I have these intense pockets leading up to tour. Um, but then once, you know, the guys are off and running, I'm just checking in with Sam, you know, making sure they have what they need. If um, he'll give me a heads up you know, a, a few shows beforehand if we're running low on a style and I can, um, you know, have more produced and sent out on the road. So I'm just kind of maintaining inventory and making sure we have enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, for these big one-offs like Red Rocks, we'll do, you know, an entire merch line for Red Rocks, um, which, you know, which is super fun to get to do that. And, um, you know, so I'm, I'm working on that now as well. And then, for August tour, just, you know, booking our poster artists and making sure we've got, you know, heavy hitters in, in some of the the bigger shows that we have going on out there. Um, but no, I'm, you know, I lend support from the office when the guys are on tour in terms of making sure that they have what they need. Nice. Nice. Um, so let's switch it around a little. Why don't you tell us um, a little bit more about your family? Oh, yes. All right. <laughs> um, so I'm, uh, I was just actually married this past October. Um, awesome. Congratulations. To my husband. Thank you. <laughs> um, to my husband. And he had um, two kids from his previous marriage who are eight and 12 now. Um, and so we are, you know, we are, we are a family and we live out in the Chicago suburbs. Um, and they're, Gosh, I'm not, I'm not sure what to say. They're, they're wonderful. It's been interesting to come into kids' lives as a, as a step-parent. You know, I've been in the mm-hmm. girls' lives for like three or four years now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we dated before, before we got married. And so it kind of, um, at the very beginning, there was definitely like a, an insta-mom feeling Mm -hmm. to it like oh my gosh like you have kids what do I do (laughs) what do I do with them um but they're they're wonderful and sweet girls and I I love you know I love so much being in in their life and um you know just supporting them in in every way I can that's Um, very awesome so that's very awesome and and 
I'm sure step parenting is not an easy thing. So, you know, kudos to you for, you know, being there and, and stepping up and being mom and, you know, having that awesome little family. So that's very cool. Thank you. I, I will say, too, that it's been, I've been fortunate that the Umphreys organization is kind of also going through, a, not everyone, but a, a lot of them, the family, you know, the family thing themselves. And so it's made some of the things that I was initially more trepidatious about, like, like, hey, like, oh, gosh, like, can I ask to leave early to make it to the orchestra concert? Or, you know, is it okay, you know, if I'm not here to bring my kid to camp or like, oh my gosh, my kid's sick. What, you know, are they going to be understanding? And because we're so many of us are in the thick of it together right now, there's been this wonderful level of understanding and, um, and just support, you know, for, for family life, like family is so, 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 so important um, to, to everyone in the organization. And it's really it's been a blessing for me um, having gone through this, you know, huge transition and, you know, becoming a, a parent a few years ago uh, to have that kind of support. And see, and it all works out the way it's supposed to. See, you had, you had this awesome support network through your job and then all this with your family, like it all works out the way it's supposed to. <laughs> so do you take your girls to shows? So I have, it's funny because they're, so we got to bring them down to the Dominican a few years ago, um, which, they, which they think is like, I guess, normal. They're like, oh, this is what it's like when I'm freeze goes to do shows. And I try to tell them, I'm like, no, it's, this is like, like the pinnacle, like this is not what it's always like. But so they, you know, we've gotten to do that. Um, I, I've actually, I've gotten to, expose a lot of my family, my parents and siblings and, and kids now to, to Umphreys. And it might be the biggest, you know, I guess job perk that I can think of is getting to share, you know, share this with my family. Um, but the girls, it's funny, they're, especially our oldest is like, she's like, you know, tween through and through, like totally has her own music, mm -hmm. you know, it's horrible. It's mm -hmm. absolutely horrible. <laughs> but I, I think I've never felt like as old as I do when I listen to, you know, what they want to listen to yes. on, on yes. the radio. And I'm like, you guys, like, this is horrible. Um, so I, I try to like, you know, make them listen to. But I also remember being that age and having, mm -hmm. you know, having your own music and how important that was. And like, even important that your parents didn't get it so that it was, you know, the sense of solidarity with their peers. So yes, I've brought them to shows, but no, they are not huge Humphreys fans. So that's like my 14-year-old. He he wants nothing to do with it. He rolls his eyes at me, and especially when I told him I was starting a podcast. He's like, "Really, mom?" I'm like, "Hey, at least I have somewhere else to talk about it now. At least I have an outlet." <laughs> oh my god, how, how old are yours? Uh, I have a 14-year-old boy. I have a seven-year-old daughter and a three-year-old son. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I've got a nice little house full of, of people. So, hence why I'm at the yeah. library right now. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, so, just a couple more questions, and then I'll let you get back to your vacation. Um, what is your favorite moment of Umphrey's history so far? Oh, gosh. Okay. Well... I'll start with the first one that popped into my head, um, but I'm sure after we hang up, I'll have like 10 more to think of. So the, the first one that I, that I usually think about when I think about like, you know, peak moments in Umphreys is the show I went to in Paris um, in 2006 at, I think it was Boulet no Le Boulet Noir. That's the name of the venue. Um, there was a, a small hardcore group of us that did the whole uh, 2006 Euro tour that had the the Jam and the Dam stop mm -hmm. in there. I think there was like ten of us maybe that hit every show, and it was um, it was like the la it was my kind of hurrah from from college. It was a partially funded graduation gift from my parents, which I'm still very grateful for to this day. Um, but so I, I was over there I was in, in Paris and they, we had had like a crazy experience leading up to even getting there. Like 
wild night in Milan. We almost didn't make it to Paris and this whole thing. And so we finally got there. We were in Paris. We couldn't. I, I don't think any any one of us in the group had been there before, but there was most of us had never been there. We couldn't believe we were seeing Humphreys in Paris. Um, yeah. And when we finally got to the show, I think I. I think it was the Fussy Dutchman. They, I don't know if they opened with it or if it was if that's just the song that I'm remembering walking into if I was late. But um, it, you know, there were it couldn't have been more than 60 of us there. It was this tiny club, um, and I, I think more people ended up you know filling in. But I just remember being in Paris um, with those people, hearing that song, and there's some some pictures from that night that pop up every so often, like you know, on forums or message boards. And I, I look at those, I'm like, God, I was so happy. <laughs> um, and we were, we were just so happy to be there. Um, and it, it was definitely the show itself was great, but the, the events leading up to it and just the opportunity that we, we just all couldn't believe how lucky we were. That's amazing. I, I like, one of my dreams is totally to see Umphreys in Europe and I'm hoping that eventually they'll do, even in London again, something like I missed the boat last time. So I'm hoping that, hoping that it can happen again, because that would be amazing. <laughs> I don't want to miss the graphics and animation studio. I mean, they do so many interesting things out of there, but um, Pete Herzog, who is, you know, uh, comes out, I mean, a fan and a friend and a really talented artist. Um, and and he came to us last year to do this augmented reality poster. And we're like, yeah, yeah, let's try it. And it got a great response. So this year, um, when we were thinking about what we wanted to do for the Red Rocks poster, he came to us again. He, he came with, with the idea. He's like, yeah, hey, I got this idea. We can do, you know, a octopus. And then I think the conversation, I don't know if he presented it along with the vintage typewriter right away or if that evolved um, so that we had more of a tie-in to the album. I actually don't remember that part of it, but um, I do know that, you know, he, that was really his, his concept and wanted to, to have it come to life. So, um, so yeah, we've been working on it, you know, or really he's been working on it for months. And then a couple of weeks ago when all the art kind of started to come together, um, we had it printed at Baker Prince, who does a lot of our, our printing is, um, you know, they have a great operation there and we're, we're really just excited to do something different. You know, it's such, it's such a big weekend for us. And, um, a lot of people want, you know, just a nice keepsake from the weekend. So we tried to pick that up a level and be like, here's your nice keepsake. And it also comes alive and you can move the octopus on someone's head and take a picture of it. And so we were trying to do something where it was also fun in the venue um, to get people engaged and involved in the show, like, you know, um, even more so. Yeah, that's, it's very, very cool. Like, I don't ever buy posters for shows that I was not at, but I, like, seriously considered it because I thought it was really, really cool. Like, I think it's, I think it's very neat. It's a cool idea, and I love, that's one of the things I really love about, um, you know, the band and just you guys as an organization, that it's not just about the music. There's just so much more to it. Um, that they get the fans involved in so many ways, and you know I love that because you don't you don't see that at all, you know, especially like in, in popular music and like things like that. Everything's just really kind of you know like separate, and you know, like there's the superstar, and you know it's it's just it's not like it is with with Alfred and their fans, and it's it's really cool. Yeah, if if there's an opportunity to get like fans involved with any product that we're doing like that that's a win to me you know like if it's not just something that you pick up at the merch booth and bring home but that you can have like fun with your friends at you know at the venue and we're we're doing this like um hashtag red octopus thing to try to get um you know people to share their photos throughout the weekend and we're you know we're gonna pick the best one and we have some some contests related to it but um it's yeah we just we want people to like have fun with it because it is it's a ridiculous image if you've seen the video of it in action with the tentacles and the typewriter and it like moves and, yes. and um so it's just it's fun it's fun and ridiculousness and um yeah we hope people enjoy it very cool very cool so i wanted to ask you too um when i spoke to sam uh, a couple weeks ago and he was talking about like you know when he's at work 
and that he doesn't really get to see any of the music because he's working. So when you are working, oh. how much how much of a show do you actually get to see? Um, that's a good question. It, it varies greatly on um, you know how well the VIP program is running because usually when I'm out at shows, I'm there in a VIP operations capacity. Um, some, sometimes not, like if there's a big merch event or if there's um, like a special event, like when we did the reel-to-reel premiere, like that, I was there in a different capacity for that. Um, but when I'm doing VIP, like yesterday, for example, it didn't catch much of the first set because we were still, um, you know, getting some people in the venue and just sorting out some, you know, some ticketing issues and, um, and whatnot. And so I didn't catch much of the first set, but once everyone's kind of in and settled, um, you know, I, I, I get to watch most of the shows and I, um, I love that about, you know, the, doing the VIP program because it's quite literally my job to stand there and make sure they're having a good time. And you can't really do that from, you know, sit, sitting, you know, in a, in a chair backstage. And so it's fun to, to be there with everyone. And I do often end up troubleshooting, you know, issues if you happen to be, you know, standing next to people, they're like, Oh, Hey, since you're here, can I, you know, and so it's kind of a, a win-win that I'm accessible to, um, you know, to fans who might have questions, and then I get to enjoy the show, too. That's awesome. That's very cool. So which is your favorite, like, big show of the year? Um, you know, you, like, Red Rocks, holidays, New Year's. So which is your favorite, like, big show of the year? I love Red Rocks. I, you know, maybe because I'm here right now, and, you know, yeah. it's this beautiful place, and it's very inspiring, but um, it's just, it, it never gets old. It feels like such a treat to get to even do it, you know? And it's one of those 360 experiences where you're standing, you know, and you're watching the band and you're like, this is, this is really amazing. And then you turn around and, you know, the seats go up and the rocks are on both sides. You're like, wow, this is really amazing. And you, you turn and your friends are next to you on your right. Like, that's really amazing. So it's very, um, it's an all immersive experience. And so I would definitely come out next year <laughs> Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. So I love that. And then for years, I really enjoyed doing the costume. I do the costumes for Halloween. Oh, so nice, that would be my nice. other, uh, <laughs> my, my other favorite, you know, big, big show weekend, um, was doing like assembling all the mashup outfits over the years, just because again, like the level of ridiculousness, um, was so high and <laughs> such good sports about it. So, um, so that that would be my other my other one just because it was uh, you know always fun to do that. So tell tell me more about that. So is it is it each individual member's idea of their mashup costume, or is it all up to you, or is it a collective thing? So how did that all work? So some of them know exactly what they want to do and exactly what they want to wear, and it varies from year to year, and like you know how how strong their convictions are in, in that particular idea. Um, and then sometimes the guys aren't really sure what to be, and there'll be like a, a, a group email brainstorm session on different different ideas. And usually the, the most ridiculous one wins. Like if they're like, oh, wouldn't it be, you know, someone will say like, wouldn't that be crazy? Um, and so it's a combination of that. Like I'll, I'll throw ideas into the ring if someone's dumb. Um, but in general, you know, it, it's better if it comes from them because they want to be comfortable and like feel like the character, you know, and all that stuff. So, um, so yeah, it's been, it's kind of changed over the years, but, um, yeah, <laughs> so I'm, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure, um, you know, if there's more specifics than that, but it's kind of, yeah, some of them know exactly what they want to do. Uh. <laughs> That's cool. So which, which has been your favorite costume that they've done? Like, is there one in particular that was, that was your favorite? Oh man, I okay. There's so many. There's so many. Um, <laughs> I, well, I will say we've learned some lessons over the years about what not to do. Like when Chris was the Incredible Hulk Hogan, um, the you know the green makeup, like him playing in like green face paint makeup, and like. It's just, and like trying to drum in a muscle suit, um, you know, like we, we definitely like 
learned lessons. Okay, like, all right, next year, you know, we're not going to do that, either of those things. Um, and then there was, uh, like, and then the facial hair some years, like, the character, like, needs facial hair. So I'll be, like, applying spirit gum and, like, fake hair, you know, before the show. And it's, like, itchy. And so it's it's more that, you know, I wouldn't say that there's a, a favorite more than there are ones that stick out in my mind that like we're like okay yeah we would never do that again um and the, and then everything else is my favorite how about that yeah yeah i, I was gonna say it's got to be hard to pick a favorite because they're all just it's just really funny all the times that they've done that this is awesome um let me see i have two more questions for you um what is your favorite piece of umphrey's merch ever that you've that you've done oh that's a good one um okay Let's see. I really like, um, well, like clothing-wise or like. Just any anything that you guys have done. Just that it was your favorite. Okay. My favorite. All right. Well, I will say that any women's cut tank top or shirt that is properly sized is my favorite mm -hmm. because it was so hard for so long to get blanks for women that weren't sized like they were all meant for preteen girls, um, which, which I say now and having preteen girls and, know, and knowing how those are sized, it was so it was so tough. And it was like, you know, they existed, but they were totally prohibitively expensive to run. And, I, and it took the garment industry years to come around to actually make a variety of women's sized things that, you know, yeah. are shaped like you know all sorts of women so yeah. I anytime that we've you know done that and it's gone well I feel like I'm like not only creating a piece of merch but like providing a service to women yeah. because it's very you know it, it I felt bad for so long because we would get this feedback and like I you know I monitor feedback and it was you know everyone's like okay well this you know I would love to wear this but I don't fit into any of it and um, and it really took some of the big players in the garment industry deciding to really lower their prices to make it affordable um, to buy these, you know, which I think they were called like, you know, like custom cut or like select cut. And finally, it's just like you can get a normal tank top and a roomy T-shirt. <laughs> um, so I would say when we've done that and we've done well and I see um, women wearing them at shows and they feel comfortable and that they, you know, like how they look, that to me um is is a big victory that's awesome and i i greatly appreciate it because i you know when i first started buying t-shirts it's absolutely something that i mentioned to my husband um you know it's like it it didn't fit right so you know i'm definitely grateful that you guys changed your stuff because you know or i'd always get stuck like having to buy like the regular t-shirt that's really kind of made for a man so it would like always fit weird on your neck or you know so definitely grateful that you guys <laughs> Stepped it up in the women's game. It's definitely appreciated. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking out for the ladies. <laughs> so. We have to represent, too. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, so last question. Um, have you ever, like, requested a song for your, like, your birthday or special occasion? And if not, what would you request? Um, so I never request songs because I don't want to have any influence over the set list whatsoever. Um, I really trust their process in doing that, and I, it's not not what I do. So I have, um, I've you know, I've got like birthday shout outs and stuff like that for, um, you know, if people find find out it's like an occasion or whatever. But no, I don't, I don't want to influence the set list. But um, if I did have to request a song, I feel like. Well, for for Umphrey songs, I I always love hearing in August. I, I always feel very grateful when that one pops up. Um, and then you know for a cover, I don't know anything Zeppelin. Um, you yeah. know if if sure. if I had to choose, but but no. In in general, my answer is I I want zero input into the set list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. You just want to let them do their thing because that's what we love about them. <laughs> totally. All right, well, that's everything I have, unless there's anything that you could think of. Um. No, you know, there's nothing I can think of, but there is one thing I wanted to, there's, that I've been thinking a lot about lately um, that I think might be interesting to people is the, the challenge of 
branding Umphreys McGee um, because they're not, you know, not a genre specific band, right? So we've really had to, like, there's not a set of like fonts or artwork that's readily available to us um, because, you know, we're not a bluegrass band and that's, you know, there's a set of imagery and fonts that go with that. Or if you're, you know, a metal band, like you have these things that are open to you. And so um, I guess I just wanted to share that one of the most fun parts and, um, you know, kind of rising above that, that challenge of not having a genre is that we've had to create everything that we've wanted to use. Um, and I think that it's, it's been one of the most enjoyable parts of my job, that process of um, trying to visually and properly represent the sound of a band as diverse as Umphreys. And so, um, you know, my, my hope is that it resonates with people. Um, and it's, you know, I would say that's, you know, one, one of the most enjoyable and challenging parts is, is to really kind of hone in on that in a visual representation. So, um, yeah. That's very cool. It's very cool. Yeah, you know, I just, I think that's one of the coolest things um, that my husband and I have been talking about, especially since, like, doing this podcast and talking to different people in the Umphreys camp and all of their different kind of things is you look at it so much, like, more differently than just kind of what you visually see there now, you know, like, it's, there's so much, like, behind it, you know, especially, like, with what you do and, like you said, with the branding and, and everything that goes into that, that there is, you know, a whole behind the scenes. So it's, it's very cool. <laughs> well, I, first of all, thank, thank you for having me on to, to talk about it. I love what you're doing. Thank I you. think that um, the Umphreys parents community is only growing, you know, like mm -hmm. when I, you know, when I first started listening to Umphreys, I was, you know, in my, my young 20s, you know, and, and now like, just so many of us have grown up and are, are becoming parents and have families or are, you know, aunts and uncles and look after kids and it's, kids are becoming, um, I think more, the, the younger you can get them started, the better. Um, I, I love that there's, you know, kids coming out to shows and I try to make uh, cute kids merch so they can rep the rest of the band too and um no i just i i, I appreciate what what you're doing and i think that um especially for parents as we you know don't always get to be as social as we once were before mm -hmm. before having kids that having these kinds of communities um is re is really wonderful um so that you still you know feel connected to everyone so i i hope that i hope that this venture grows for you and i can come back in a couple years and uh or, or, or sooner but yeah. that you know i i'm excited for the, the seed of what this is too yeah thank you and and that's really kind of what it was it just started out as a facebook group because i didn't have any like-minded friends that were parents and so i'm like well then i'm just gonna invent it and now it's just morphed into this entire crazy thing and it's awesome it's very awesome so that's wonderful. Well, best of luck growing it. And if um, if you have any follow-up questions, feel, you know, feel free to reach out. I'm happy to reply. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time and enjoy the rest of your vacation with your family. Thank you. You too. Bye. Thanks. Bye.